Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome you to the latest episode of SALT Talks that we're doing in partnership with Our Crowd, which is an Israeli-based crowdfunding platform. And today's episode is going to focus on the, the miracle of the Israeli rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine, something that we could definitely learn a lot from here in the United States as in, in various parts of the countries uh, we're achieving success, and in some cases not achieving success in rolling out the vaccine in a efficient way. But uh, our guest today on this SALT Talks episode is Dr. Yossi Bahagon. Uh, Dr. Bahagon is a clinically active family physician, a serial entrepreneur, and a global key opinion leader in the field of digital health. Dr. Bahagon founded and managed Clowlet Health Services, Digital Health Division, CHS is the second largest health maintenance organization in the world. Uh, CHS's digital activity led the digital transformation of the Israeli healthcare system and became a global benchmark for nationwide digital health deployments. It serves today millions of patients in tens of millions of interactions monthly, and they were definitely ahead of the curve in, in what is now a mega trend in terms of telemedicine. Uh, Dr. Bahagon has also been a founding team member of several successful digital health companies and co-founded Cure Ventures, Israel's first digital health-focused investment fund. Uh, Dr. Bahagon serves as the special advisor for the World Health Organization, as well as an advisory board member of Best Buy Health and Almoral uh, Pharmaceuticals and a mentor at Microsoft's Think Next Accelerator and BioCats Digital Health Accelerator. And hosting today's talk is David Suisa. Uh, David is the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Jewish Journal, the largest Jewish weekly in the country, Los Angeles being one of those locations I was referring to earlier that could learn a lot from Israel's vaccine rollout. For the past 13 years, David has been writing a weekly column in the journal that earned him the Best Columnist Award uh, by the LA Press Club and first prize for editorial writing by the American Jewish Press Association. Prior to journalism, David was a founder and CEO of Suisa Miller Advertising, a marketing firm that was named Agency of the Year by USA Today. In 2005, he sold that company so he could dedicate himself full-time to the Jewish world, and we're very excited that David is joining us as a first-time moderator here on Salt Talks. Uh, and with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to David to conduct today's interview. Thank you, John. Thank you to Salt Talks and to our crowd. I have a special fascination with our subject today. Uh, for one thing, every time I go to a doctor's office, I still have to fill out all the forms on real paper with an old pen. And all I see is hundreds and hundreds of old paper files. And I always ask myself, when are we going to enter the digital age here in America? But then at the same time, recently, I have a, a sensor on my skin that has really changed my life because it helps me measure my glucose so I've tasted kind of both worlds, and I'm delighted to be able to talk about this subject with Yossi today. So I'd like to start, Yossi, with something you wrote 10 years ago. 
in a uh, medical journal that caught my attention. And let me quote from what you wrote. In the upcoming decade, digital platforms will be the backbone of a strategic revolution in the way medical services are provided, affecting both healthcare providers and patients. Digital-based, patient-centered healthcare services allow patients to actively participate in managing their own care in times of health, as well as illness, using personally tailored interactive tools. That sounds like a wonderful world, Yossi. When you think back of what you wrote 10 years ago, how does it look today? So first, thank you, John, and thank you, David, and our crowd for connecting the dots here on this uh, salt talk. Um, I should have, uh, you know, hearing what you are quoting me, I probably should uh, read back what I read a few years, what I wrote a few years ago. Maybe I will know how to read the future better. So definitely, you know, we are speaking over Zoom and in a world that half of it is under lockdown. And unfortunately, that COVID led to the revolution that we are experiencing today in remote care services. But, you know, actually this, this came true faster than I imagined. If just, uh, you know, a year, a year and a half ago, people, um, as you described, every time had to go to the physician's office for every routine check, for every child check, for an ear pain and so on. Things have dramatically changed these days and accelerated in COVID, which accelerated this change uh, we see a world that is actually going today through what you just read. And I believe that what we are seeing now, it's just the tip of the iceberg, meaning COVID is going to stay with us, whether we like it or not, even with the vaccinations, which we will speak about uh, later on. It's going to stay with us for the months and maybe even for the uh, two, three years to come, if everything will go right. And some of our behaviors as human beings will evolve and our stuff started evolving during this period. And since it's a healthcare crisis, the first thing that is evolving is how do we um, approach our healthcare and how does the healthcare system approach healthcare? So exactly that, how healthcare is delivered and how healthcare is uh, perceived. I think the main thing that I pointed out back then, and I can still reiterate it today, is what uh, I like to call participatory health. Participatory health is how do you make the patient a true partner in his or her uh, own healthcare? So the technology aims that we will speak about later on, we need to remember that they are only means for the, this objective of making the patient a true partner. Just like you uh, hinted with regards to your continuous glucose monitoring that is attached to your arm, which gave you the power to know where you, your glucose stands with a glimpse of an iPhone or a smartphone that you 
uh, get nearby the sensor. So this is exactly what the digital health revolution is all about. You know, what I find also fascinating is that there is a um, anachronistic system that seems very, very difficult to change, which is a human being entering a doctor's office. And that's something that's been with us for hundreds of years. And I still feel that it's like granite. It's like an old school, the doctor expects it, the patient expects it. I go into an office and I see a doctor in person. And what I've noticed is that we've been forced to change that during the pandemic because we had no choice. So now we're entering telemedicine, whether we like it or not. And I'd like to discuss now the situation in Israel, because it seems to me that you were better prepared for the pandemic and for the spread of the vaccine, especially than other countries. And you personally, Yossi, you were involved with creating a digital health system in Israel through Klalit, correct? Yeah. Could you spend a few minutes discussing how you helped create this digital health system and how it helped you when the vaccine finally came, help spread the vaccine so quickly. Sure, happy to. Thank you, David, for the question. Uh, I don't know if you and the audience know that, but for more than 10 years now in Israel, 100% of the population, 100% of the population have access to their personal health record. Meaning I can, with one tap, go into my smartphone and enter my personal health record. And not only I can see all my data there, meaning diseases, medications, hypersensitivities, my last x-ray, my last lab test, and so on, everything. I can also act upon it in various ways. So having telemedicine sessions, ordering my chronic prescriptions. All the data is analyzed at the background. So to enable personalized medicine. So for example, the system crunches the data in order to find a woman who have a higher risk for developing breast cancer and send them proactively notifications for doing preventative medicine in order to find it in early stage. If you ask me why am I personally um, attracted to this field beyond, you know, the cool stuff and technology, which will, it's about uh, the ability to change people's life in the masses. When I was a physician in, in a clinic, I had, you know, 1,000 patients that I that were, were under my responsibility. When we established the digital health division at Clelit, as John said, it's the second largest health organization in the world after Kaiser. Now, and this is what I told my team, it's not about technology. It's about the human experience that you create. And it's about touching the lives of millions of people through this digital platforms and changing their lives. We can point out 
to the specific woman that because of the system that we built, we saved their lives from a, a deadly breast cancer. And similarly with regards to men that we saved their lives from a myocardial infection, from a heart attack. So it's not numbers and digital, it's people's life and people's experience. From this platform, again, I'm speaking 10 years before COVID, you know, when we started that I told people telemedicine, they asked me telehoo. So today, obviously everybody knows what telemedicine is, but this platform was the foundation of the great success that we are experiencing these days in, in the vaccination rollout. Or, you know, we are moving from a startup nation to a vaccination. So I can, I can describe you my experience. You know, I got the text message inviting me with a date and place and with a QR code. Got there five minutes before time. The gate opened based on me presenting the QR code. 10 minutes later, I was out. A day after, I got a text message for my second vaccine booking together with an electronic form there to feel if I had any adverse effects. This system is built on what we built, you know, what we are building for the last 10, 15 years, and which enables now that 45, within a month and a half, 45% of the Israeli population is already vaccinated. And if things will move forward in this space, in a month to two months, we will gain what is supposed to be the herd immunity. And we are already starting to see the numbers go down, and we are already starting to see that the economy is opening. And this is because, again, yes, you can call it digital health, but it's essentially now digital life. You know, what I'm hearing from you is that the digital technology is encouraging a model of cooperation between the doctors, the providers, and the patients. Now, here in America, I've kind of seen something different. Um, when people encourage patients to take ownership of their health, they, take you, they tell you to do your homework on Google find out and almost interrogate your doctor, ask questions, and also ask, look for second opinions. From the doctor's standpoint, he pays huge in, you know, malpractice insurance. So he needs to protect himself against malpractice. There's almost, I don't want to exaggerate the point, almost a, a kind of a confrontational thing where so many of us, first of all, are taught to really trust the doctor completely or interrogate them. What I'm sensing hearing you speak now is a completely different model where the doctor sees the patient in a kind of a partnership model where the technology exactly. encourages partnership. And it's amazing because I've been living this partnership for only two weeks now because of my Libre sensor. And I email back and forth now with my doctor. So this is the first time in my life I'm actually living through this and I see it as a, a real game changer, but it's happening because I have the kind of doctor who is willing to work with me as a partner. So is this what we're hoping for, for the future of 
healthcare around the world to create a model of partnership that may even be introduced in medical schools as the model to strive for. And hence, technology can be a facilitator of that new, more productive model. You describe it in a, in a beautiful way. Um, and I, I can only fully agree. Maybe I will give um, you know, one example to, you know, to anchor to what you just said. So what we are seeing today is that the digital platforms are entering the traditional healthcare world and they are providing the physician and the patient better tools to provide better and more personalized medicine. This is supposed to create a situation where the physician, instead of focusing on crunching the data and collecting the data himself, will be able to go back to the traditional model of the interaction between the patient and the physician, meaning humanity. Because this is something that at least for the foreseeable future, digital platforms are not supposed to do. So for example, if you just ate lunch and your blood glucose are, is above the target, you will get a message, hey David, you know your glucose level is 183. If you would walk now for seven minutes, based on your past logs, you will bring your glucose levels back to target. So it's combining advanced data science with behavioral science and user experience in order to improve your clinical outcomes. Yossi, I wanna uh, get more personal if you don't mind. You are a sure. doctor who is now the managing partner of R Crowd Cure, right? I'm I'm interested in how you've added the investment side to your life. What made you think of adding this this component to your life? And tell us a little bit more about R Crowd Cure. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good personal question. <laughs> you know, my grandmother, uh, when people um, you know, ask you, you know, your grandchild is a physician. What exactly does he do? And, and she didn't know to tell, you know, he's an expert in medical informatics. She didn't know how to say, you know, to explain it. So, so she said, oh, you know, he's uh, some kind of physicians of computers. <laughs> so, sounds like my mother. <laughs> so, um, you know, there is the perf personal uh, things that you are attracted to. So I was attracted by technology, but at some point I saw early on that this could change so many people's lives. Usually when, when people ask me about my background, I say, this is digital health is not what I do for a living. It's my life mission. It's my passion. It's my way to bring back good to the world. And I'm saying it though, it's very, very personal. I'm saying it here because I, I feel uh, it's genuine enough to, to, play, to put it on the table. Uh, I want to, to tell you a story about, uh, you know what, one of the things that uh, led me to, the, uh, to where I am today. So I was sitting the one Friday in my clinic and I got a call from a patient of mine. Uh, she was back then in a small island in Thailand 
called Copy P. I remember it because you will understand in a second. And she told me that her son, her four-year-old son, is suffering from fever and is coughing for the last three days. And can I help her? Because it was an island without any communication and so on. And I told her, you know, I opened, um, I think it was Skype back then. And I, I looked at the child and I said to her, Rachel, you know, I really want to help you, but I can't. Why? Because you are there and I'm here. And, and I can't, you know, listen to the child's lungs and diagnose whether he has pneumonia and he needs antibiotics and so on. After this call, I gave a call to two entrepreneurs that I knew, and I asked them, listen, can we build a solution that will enable me to send a long hand from Israel to Thailand and not only see my patients the way we talk each other to each other now, but also check them up as if they were now entering my clinic. Seven years later, there is this company, Israeli company called Taito, which is now used by tens of thousands of families in Europe, in US, in Israel, which enables exactly that. To enable not only remote a visit via video, but to enable actually remote examination as if you were uh, entering the physician clinics. Now, these are the type of experiences that you say, hey, it's not about the funding. It's not about the return. It's, these are, I don't want to say side effects. It's not, you know, good business usually leads also to good execution but the motivation lies in the, in the doing good. And the investment side is an enabler. I'll tell you another thing, Yossi, that fascinates me. <clears throat> when we talk about technology here in America in terms of healthcare, we often talk about the kind of technology that has made healthcare exorbitant, that had made the cost skyrocket. For example, new surgery techniques, new big machines, and new new technologies that a lot of times doctors feel they got to use, sometimes they overuse, and it, and it skyrockets healthcare costs in America. And what I'm hearing from you is a different type of technology, the type of technology that actually makes healthcare not just more human and more cooperative, but also more efficient and cost-effective. Definitely. So when, so when you consider, you know, because you're always exposed to these kind of new innovative technologies as the leader of this, you know, our crowd cure, do you make a distinction between those two categories? So, so definitely, and this is also an opportunity to say a bit more about cure. So cure, as uh, John described at the beginning, is the uh, first uh, fund in Israel that was purely dedicated to digital health. And uh, we've uh, so far invested in 12 companies in different areas, in genomics, in telemedicine, in preventative care, and so on. And the criteria that you just expressed, meaning it doesn't need, it, it, it's the fact that it's a cool tech is by far not being enough. And we put a rule, it was one of the themes 
that when we started investing was in front of our eyes. If it makes medicine more expensive, it's not for us. Because the hurdle is, is how to gain better care in, with more, better partnership from the patient and to reduce the costs. Because the costs are already, you know, going through the roof, especially if you, you know, you mentioned the U.S. And, you know, it's about, I believe, today 20% of the U.S. GDP. So, indeed, this was one of the criteria of how do we take the costs down. Uh, and it's and it's an important criteria. Now, an, another thing I've noticed with technology is sometimes you just have really really cool gadgets, and the new generation here they just they're used to having cool gadgets, new apps, a new social media. Everybody's on uh, Clubhouse now, and I'll give you an example. All right, uh, gadget happy. Uh, I go for walks every day. And my sister in Montreal also goes for walks. And my mother is getting on my case because my sister counts all her steps through her iWatch, right? Yeah. And my mother bugs me every day. Why aren't you doing what Judy's doing? Count your steps. She does 10,000 a day. And I'm saying, mother, I'm not the gadget type of guy, right? I go for an hour walk. Whether it's going to be 8,000 steps or 11,000, doesn't make a big difference for me. I'm not gadget happy. However, the Libre is unbelievably useful and game-changing. So I'm wondering if that's also one of your criteria, that you kind of, you know, you stay away from stuff that may look too cool. And does that come up in your yeah. field? You have those uh, kind actually of... Actually, it, it comes up a lot. We were in a discussion with a, a large global pharma company just a few days ago, and they asked exactly the same question. This is a very a good point that you that you bring. You know, many times, uh, you know, the people that suffer from chronic diseases are not the ones that go to jog three times a week at the Central Park. On the contrary, they are, they are the ones that are less tech savvy. They are the ones that you need to motivate in order to encourage them to do work. They are the ones that are not, you know, standing in front of Apple stores all the night to get the latest uh, version of Apple. And you know, guess what? This is 80% of the chronic, chronic patients, the, the, the type of people that I just described. Uh, we have a very strong uh, collaboration with Johns Hopkins uh, with regards to doing clinical trials with these digital health solutions. So one very important point to emphasize is that digital health is more health than digital, meaning if you want to bring a solution, you need to verify that it brings results. And the only way to verify it brings results is to create this evidence together with leading organizations like Hopkins uh, as an example. And in choosing the population that will come into these clinical trials, you need to choose not the, only the young ones and the tech savvy, on the contrary, you need to see how it affects the average Joe who is 75 years old, who is low to medium socioeconomic uh, uh, state and so, and so on, in order indeed to make sure that you uh, point and you target 
to the masses. This is where the change will come from. You know, I saw an interview with Steve Jobs years ago, and I never understood why he started crying. And he, it was after the iPad came out, and he said of everything he did in his life, that was the one thing that touched him the most deeply. And I never really understood that. And then I went into a place that was for crippled children. And I saw how they were using iPads to discover color and sounds. And then 10 years later, I saw my mother who never used a computer in her life. Finally, you know, press a finger on an iPad to see videos of her grandchild in Israel. And I understood the reason he cried that day is because he understood that that was the ultimate product for the masses because all he was asking was something that was true millions of years ago, which is the ability to just touch, exactly. the ability to exactly. touch. And, and, and what you bring up is such an interesting point. If 80% of you know, the people that are like severely ill don't have that high tech capability, then those kind of innovation now are going to have to have that high touch component. Can you give us a few examples, Yossi, of some of the innovation that is happening right now under our crowd cure that you're excited about? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I gave already two examples of title, the, the remote uh, physical examination solution and of switch, which is an AI-based solution for chronic disease prevention and management. Zebra, who is a company, if we started our discussion from, you know, the data that was accumulated in Israel during the last 15 years, so Zebra collected uh, tens of millions of images uh, from different healthcare providers in Israel. And based on creating this smart algorithms, they, the company, the system now, is know, now knows how to uh, diagnose a, in a very precise way a, very, a variety of health conditions. If we want to connect it to COVID, so you know, uh, one example is when a patient enters the ER and the uh, staff takes his uh, chest X-ray, Based on this chest x-ray, Zebra is able to predict which patients will be prone to a more severe disease, so they need more medical attention, and which can be uh, just uh, with a watchful waiting. So it's the kind of, you know, again, when you combine large data sets with advanced data science, in order to improve clinical outcomes. And likewise, side diagnostics. Side diagnostics is a you know, clinic-based lab which uses, which can use one drop of your blood to get a full a complete blood count reading based on a technology that uses, you know, high uh, again advanced data science together with the a, a, imaging, advanced imaging solutions, and you can get in 60 seconds exactly whether you suffer from a, a more pro most probably from a viral infection or from a bacterial infection. So these are just a few of the uh, companies that uh, uh, we've invested in out of, you know, hundreds of companies that we've screened along the way. 
So John, when John from Salt Talks introduced us uh, at the beginning of this show, he brought up the idea uh, that's probably the highest sub subject of interest where I live anyhow, the vaccine. Everywhere I go, it is the number one subject of conversation. Everyone wants to know, did you get your first shot? Did you get your second? How did you do it? It's unbelievable. I have like really wealthy people that are connected that have not been able to get a shot, high-risk people that have not been able. It's just the number one subject. It's seen as a miracle and everybody wants to get their vaccine. So you mentioned uh, we are fascinated here in Los Angeles by what's happened in Israel and how fast you did it. So you mentioned at the top of the show that uh, the data management was absolutely critical. In fact, I remember interviewing the head of the prenatal center at Sheba, and he mentioned that as soon as a baby is born in Israel, they immediately go into the data bank. I don't know if that's, that's accurate, but that's what I recall from interviewing. Yeah. So you really have a huge importance on getting like this consolidated, you know, data ID uh, database. But is that the only reason why the vaccine has had such a rapid rollout? I heard that your prime minister called the head of Pfizer 17 times. This is from the head of Sharet Zedek, uh, Halivi, Jonathan Halivi. Yeah, told, Jonathan Halivi. Yeah. Jonathan, he told me that Prime Minister Netanyahu called the head Borla of Pfizer 17 times. I wish, you know, we had that same kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it, chutzpah maybe, and they paid extra. Basically, there was a sense of urgency that started from the top in terms of we're going to do absolutely everything we can to, to, to acquire as many doses as possible. And I almost sense that there's been almost an army-like execution. Can you talk more about the success of the rollout? Yeah. So I think it's a combination of, you know, several factors. The, the political thing that you've mentioned and the data uh, play that uh, we've discussed at the beginning of the of the show. But the true is that it goes back to what you said about chutzpah. And it's, this is a very important point when it comes to uh, understanding the Israeli innovation uh, and why we don't get no as an answer. It's as simple as that. No is a request for more information. Yeah, so it's, I don't know if the story about uh, Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu and the 17 calls is, is a reality, or, a, or, or, or but I'm sure that it reflects a reality. And it reflects a very, you know, Israeli thing. We don't get no as an answer. Whether it's we have an issue that is uh, related to uh, defense and, and, you know, security issues, so we need to build Iron Dome in order to continue our you know, normal life here, or we have an issue with overcrowded uh, uh, roads, so we need to build the mobile for autonomous driving, or we have an issue with chronic diseases, so we need to build an interoperability system that will consolidate all the data. And at the end, this spirit of innovation that simply doesn't get a no is an answer. I think this is the you know, common thing, you ask why, if you would ask me at the beginning, who would be the country that in, when there will be vaccines will enroll it the fastest? 
I will tell you Israel because of these because of this main fact. Now there is a backlash right right now. Uh, it's what I call the dark side of technology, right? Everything has a has two sides, the plus and the dark. And right now, the dark side of technology that I'm sensing both here and in Israel, which is the spread of misinformation throughout social media where you see these videos of so-called experts that are talking about how vaccines are dangerous, that vaccines are not necessary, that the COVID itself is just like the flu. And they're getting, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views on the internet. And in fact, I was reading an article this morning in one of the Israeli papers that, that showed that the rise that the, the, there's a rise in the number of Israelis that are skeptical of the vaccine. So it's not obvious that every Israeli now wants to get vaccinated. And we need a certain amount, percentage of the population to get vaccinated so we can get to herd immunity. Now, are you aware of this backlash and can you talk a little bit about it? Is that something that concerns you? Yeah, of course, it's something that, uh, you know, I think we are all is, uh, you know, all over the world are suffering from this, uh, you know, fake news related to the vaccine, and we all pay the price. So the only thing, you know, there is the the media that can fight it, but there is also, you know, us as human beings, every one of us have, you know, to push the close and the uh, far, uh, you know, interactions that we have and to state it in a very clear way. We want our life back. So it has a pathway to which we can, uh, walk through and you know discuss the uh, uh, that these vaccines did went through proper clinical trials and these vaccines you know the numbers now in Israel there are clinical there are already uh, very large I'm speaking about millions of people that uh, uh, for example in Clalit Clalit published a study just last week of 1.2 bill, million people that were vaccinated, that uh, were compared to a group that was not vaccinated and the results are outstanding Mm -hmm. with regards to uh, uh, the immunity and with regards to the uh, uh, stopping uh, the, um, or reducing the infectious uh, factor of the virus. So it's no longer a clinical trial, you know, it's already real world evidence and for people who ask me, you know, you don't know what the long-term effects of this vaccine uh, will be, you know, there is a very simple answer. It's a, you know, it's a risk-reward uh, question. Nobody also knows what the long-term effect of getting COVID will be. And if, if you know, if I decide in which hands to be uh, with regards to long-term effects, whether in the hands of a scientific evidence or in the hands of a a virus, I prefer to take my chances with the scientific evidence. Well, you know, my my rule of thumb is I ask my doctor friends, is this something you will put in your body? And if they are willing to put it in their body, they have quote unquote, literally skin in the game, then who am I to say no? Before I let you go, Yossi, I'd like to talk a little bit more about our crowd. I knew our crowd before it was born. I'm a big visitor of Israel. And then I saw our crowd when it was born. And I visited your your offices. 
And over the years, it's become this phenomenal global investment platform. I'm curious if I can get your impressions of our crowd in general, what brought you to be associated with them and give us a little bit of an overview of what our crowd brings to the picture. So our crowd today is uh, one of the largest, I believe the largest and the most active VC in Israel. So it fuels the innovation that we, sp that we spoke about uh, in many areas, whether it's automobile and healthcare and cybersecurity and digital consuming and so on. Uh, and it actually became, you know, I joined our crowd four years ago after I did my own diligence and met with the leadership and understand what are the values behind this. So there is the, you know, democratizing of investments value. So today, you know, if you have a, a, even a small amount, relatively small amount that you want to invest, you can do it just like the big ones. This is a big value. Mm. Uh, and we hear about it a lot today you know, with regards to companies like Robinhood. So think of our crowd as a Robinhood, not for, you know, investing $500, but for investing $10,000 or $5,000 or $50,000 for a bit of a larger amounts where all the investments are validated by a professional team before they are brought to the platform. So this is one value. The second value goes, you know, to Israel and our crowd in many aspects became the window for Israeli innovation. Just a year ago, February, last of Fe February 2020, there was the uh, famous Our crowd Summit happening in Jerusalem, 15,000 people from more than 80 countries came to this a, a, a conference and if this is not Mitzion uh, Tetzetora, I don't know what uh, is. So now, you know, uh, bringing uh, the, the data about vaccination to the world, bringing Mobileye to the world, bringing all the other, you know, weeks that helps companies build uh, uh, digital-based solutions, Taito, Switch, uh, uh, Side Diagnostic, Zebra, uh, BrainQ, which we didn't even discuss, that is utilizing AI to make people who suffered from a, a, a spinal cord injury walk again. So for me, what our crowd is, it's a building a healthier and a better humanity. And that's the, that's the core value. And from that, you know, you go to the investment thesis and so on. Part of the success is, you know, it all starts and ends with the people that you have and the quality of the people that you have and the values that they carry. So um, if we talk about the our crowd success, I believe it belongs to the people who created it and who will maintain it on an ongoing basis. You know, maintaining, we discussed it before, to maintain the high-tech touch and the human touch. On that note, I want to show you my, uh, my screen. Check my glucose. This is, uh, <laughs> this is my Libre. 
thing. This is the example of everything you spoke about today. I want to thank you so much, Yossi. I know it's late in, in Israel right now, and you took a, a whole hour to really discuss some really, really important issues. And I'm very grateful for you taking the time. Uh, John, do you want to have any final? Yeah, I'll say a few words just to send us off here. But thank you, uh, David, for joining us as a first-time moderator here on Salt Talks. And Dr. Bahagon, thank you for joining us as well. Hopefully, we can learn a little bit from the uh, the amazing technology boom that is taking place and has been taking place in Israel, as well as everything you guys are doing to uh, to contain the virus and now roll out the vaccine. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John, for hosting us. And thank you, David, for the great moderate. My pleasure. God bless. Stay safe. Thank you, everybody uh, who tuned in to today's Salt Talk as well. We always enjoy doing these episodes with our friends over at Our Crowd. They bring us uh, fascinating guests and interesting companies that are doing uh, interesting things uh, and innovating in a variety of different fields. So just a reminder, if you missed any part of this episode or any of our previous episodes, including ones that we did with Our Crowd uh, back in December, you can access our entire archive of Salt Talks free on demand on our website at salt.org backslash talks and also on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube, where we have a fast uh, growing subscribership there. Uh, we're also on social media. We're on Twitter at Salt Conference is where we're most active, but we're also on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. And please spread the word about these Salt Talks. We think a lot of the topics that we cover, it's important to educate people about uh, things that are going on in the world. Uh, and on behalf of the entire SALT team and our uh, host today, David, uh, just signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.